0: And welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be hit with pseudo-agraphia if you wrote to me saying that you missed this week's show. Tech policies that reduce toxic productivity. First, what is toxic productivity? Then, as your teams use technology more often for work, how might your practices be hurting the people you work with? Finally, what are the better practices and policies? It's all covered by Marina Martinez Bateman at New Coyote Consulting. This is part of our continuing 22 NTC coverage. On Tony's Take Two, Please Start Your Planned Giving with Wills, Part Deux. We're sponsored by Turn 2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. And by Fourth Dimension Technologies, IT Infra in a Box, the affordable tech solution for nonprofits, tony.ma slash 4D. Just like 3D, but they go one dimension deeper. Here is tech policies that reduce toxic productivity. Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 22NTC, the 2022 Nonprofit Technology Conference, hosted by the very smart folks at N10 who help us all use technology in our work. With me now is Marina Martinez Bateman. They are CEO of New Coyote Consulting. Marina, welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. It's a joy to be on the show. Oh, a joy. Thank you very much. And we just get we're just getting started. we are joyful already. I love it. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Your session topic is tech policies for reducing toxic productivity. Mm-hmm. Natural question is... How could productivity possibly be toxic? What What is this thing?
1: Well, it's like anything else, right? You know, you buy a couple of pairs of nice shoes that you like. It's not toxic. There's nothing wrong here. It's just engaging in some, you know, some trade, some some joy of craftsmanship. If you start buying shoes instead of food, buying shoes instead of paying the rent, then you have a real problem, <laughs> right? Yeah. And productivity is like that. You know, it's just like any other thing that we engage in. We can do it so hard that it hurts us. Um, toxic productivity is when we will choose work over things that we need, like taking lunch breaks or moving mm-hmm. our body or um, engaging with family and community, things that sort of are essential to our mental and physical health. And then, you know, what happens is as we engage more and more with this toxic level of productivity, our actual real true product, our output diminishes. And then we see our output diminish we get really upset about that. And then we double down on being more and more productive right. and, and then our output diminishes because we're exhausted and we're not getting filled up in other places. And we double down again and it can lead to, you know, you can create uh, you know, really unhealthy spaces. You can, um, you know, make yourself ill. You can hurt yourself. You can get hurt. You know, how many people have fallen asleep while driving um, because they're working too many hours um, you know, how many times do we make really silly mistakes when we're exhausted? Um, those things sort of creep in and creep in, and then your identity starts to change into being someone who can't get things right, who isn't able to perform. When that was never a part of your reality, you're just engaging way too hard in work thinking that that's the answer to your your problem when really it's the cause.
0: And before we go further and toxic productivity let's remind folks in case there's any question uh you said you know it it, it replaces being filled up by other spaces Mm -hmm. like community family friends let's Mm -hmm. remind folks of the the joys that and and maybe there's even research that shows the, the physiological changes when we're engaging in things that are not work
1: yeah. Yeah. So you get different parts of your brain activated when you're engaging in hobbies that are different from your work, um, your creative life. You know, if you have a creative job, um, sometimes doing something that's not so creative or doesn't require a lot of like big, innovative leaps um, can be nice, like, you know tidying up or taking a walk or um doing something physical like hiking or going out into the outdoors going fishing and camping etc or even going shopping or going to the movies like those things when they're safe of course because it's still covid right now um are important to engage in because they activate other spots of your brain they also just your body moves differently on a hike than it does in the office or at a desk
0: it it moves first of all yes
1: moving. yeah <laughs> yeah, first of all, it moves your standing desk, even if you attach a treadmill to it or something, can never really yeah. replicate going outside <laughs> um and then you know we're people, even introverted people, need other people, we just do we're not um we cannot exist completely alone. Um, we have to be able to engage in the people that we have in our personal bubble, however big that bubble is. We have to be able to sort of like a- activate um that empathetic drive that we all have as humans or that you know the vast majority of us do um and we we just have to be in in concert. You know, how many of us have been at work, especially in the nonprofit sphere and things are sort of looking gloomy and we're thinking, Oh, the world is filled with bad people. Everyone's making terrible choices. This is the worst, you know? And then you go to dinner with a friend and you're like, wait, the world is wonderful. This is great. Everyone's making great choices. I bet all these people are just f- trying to figure it out yeah. <laughs> because that human connection needs to exist. For us to be people in the world, which is you know why we're here, is to Thank be people. You.
0: Thank you for that reminder. Right? You we are we are communal. We are social. Mm-hmm. Even the most introverted, to some degree, still, mm-hmm. as you mm-hmm. said, you know, with however, however, however many or few it may be, uh, uh, contact community. All right, mm-hmm. all right. So, what are nonprofits doing that uh, is leading us to? Toxic productivity, and we'll we'll certainly get to the solutions. But what are we doing to? Uh, I don't want to. I certainly don't want to say improve it uh, to uh, induce it. <laughs> induce it.
1: Yeah, I mean, part of it is that we have these, and these are. It's great that we all want to end hunger, and that we, you know, it's no one's being like oh, But it's hard when you have 16 people, and they're all making. 20 to 50 to 100 percent less than they could make in the free market trying to end hunger from a small office with broken chairs and a raccoon that won't leave the trash alone. You know, like we are so severely under resourced in nonprofit and that's not our individual fault by any means. It's the culture and the structures of the culture that we live in um, where uh, poor people are the people that build this country and their labor is so exploited that they are um, kept poor so that the rich can stay rich. Um, And then we at the nonprofits in generally, those are the people we serve are the poor or people who are missing something from their their experience or their needs. And, uh, And we're under resourced too. I mean, it's a whole it's a whole culture, right? It's a whole structure. It's a whole system that's made to make it so that we have these incredibly vast missions and we have a broken pencil and our own gumption to make it happen. And, um, and it is, you know, we, we as individuals cannot solve that entire problem by ourselves. One, we can't solve the problem that we're working on by ourselves. We can't end hunger alone. Um, even the most vast and well-resourced organization would have to work with others in order to make that happen. Um, and part of that. So we have this, like we have these vast resources. We are severely under-resourced or we have these vast That's missions. The Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And we're severely under-resourced. And then um, what we as organizations do on the, on the organization to organization level is that we compete with one another. We don't coordinate with our organizations in our same sphere or it's hard, we find it hard to coordinate. Um, We also don't recognize that we're under-resourced. Frequently, we will sort of like, you know, when you get a bunch of nonprofit workers together in a room, we'll joke about, you know, how we don't have a chair that works and our computer is 15 years old and all these things. Um, But we don't talk about how that makes the mission harder to do, and nor do we talk about how, we're still hitting goalposts, we're still crossing finish lines, we're still making things work. And where do those resources come from? In general, they come from the individual workers. Um, And some of us have vast resources to put to this, and some of us don't. Um, But there's no adjustment. A, there's no adjustment of expectation based on how much resource we're individually putting into the, the work to make it cross the finish line. And there's also no, um it's seen as an individual failing if we can't do this impossible work with very little resource in the turn, in, in, in terms of money, in terms of time, in terms of support, in terms of whatever, we're all fighting an uphill battle and, um and our organization's, Frequently lean into that martyrdom, and lean into that. You know, well, I was working seventeen hours yesterday. Well, I was up at two o'clock in the morning finishing this grant. Well, I was, you know, and um, and it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, if we live in a world where we think that our clients deserve education, food, um, a healthy ecology to to roam in, community, art. All of these things, you know, medicine and um, recovery and all these things that we provide to people, if we think that our clients deserve that, how come we're not getting that for ourselves? Like how many of us are pushing off things like doctor's appointments? How many of us us have skipped um, significant times in our family members' lives because there was some campaign or something that had to go on? And then also how much of that um, happens because of expectation, you know, when we start a nonprofit, we're working with nothing. We work our way up. We become leaders in the, in the sector. And then it doesn't seem weird to us that the people, the workers that are coming behind us are experiencing the same hardships that we experienced because it's normal for us to struggle in this way.
0: It's time for a break. Turn to communications, media relationships. You know how important relationships are in fundraising. They're just as important in media exposure. Both of the Turn 2 partners are former journalists, including one, Peter Panapento, who was an editor at the Chronicle of Philanthropy. So they both know what to do and what not to do to build your relationships with journalists. Those relationships are going to get you heard in the media. Turn 2 Communications. Your story is their mission. Turn hyphen two dot co. Now back to tech policies that reduce toxic productivity. A lot of what you're saying is that it's, it's culture and, and mindset. So I guess you'd like to change the culture and change the mindset and change the investments. Um, so please let's, uh, Let's start talking about
1: what, what we can do differently. I think what we can do differently is it starts with the leadership in nonprofits. People who are lower on the org chart do not have as much power, although a lot of people, especially right now with the great resignation, um, a lot of people who are lower on the org chart are assort- asserting their power by leaving hmm. um, environments that are toxic or don't work for um, what their vision is for the future. I think Gen Z is a great motivator for us to all take a look at how we've been working in the past and how it has harmed us and how if we don't get right and start cycle breaking, we are going to be perpetuating the same harm that was done to us, which while it's not fair that we were harmed, it's also not fair to, to sort of slough that off onto others. Yeah. Um, but in the leadership and the nonprofits, we have to stop thinking that because it happened to us, it's okay for it to happen to other workers. Especially younger workers coming yeah, like into the workforce. Yeah,
0: like some sort of you know rite of passage. Mm-hmm. You pay your dues, and then you'll then mm-hmm. you'll emerge uh, a better leader in the in the sector. You know that's yeah. that's silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah,
0: it's and yet ha- punishing to be you. You don't have to be punished to be successful.
1: Exactly. Can we be like? Can we be the the nonprofit executives and CEOs that we needed when we were younger and that we didn't get? Can we do the things that that would have helped us to heal or would have helped us to be safe or be properly resourced or succeed, even if that's not something that we experienced when we were younger in career?
0: All right. Um, do you have
1: specific,
0: like, uh, are there specific things that leaders can can encourage, like, you must take time off or so, you know, you, I don't want to see anybody not using their vacation time. And, you know, the, these folks who say, Hey, I haven't had a vacation in four years. I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. I'm thinking like, don't blame me. That's your own fault. <laughs> yeah. That, I, if it's been that long, it's your own fault for not taking it. You know? So what, what, what can leaders do You know, specifically to avoid this, the, the toxic productivity
1: is yeah. That, that sort of thing where it's like, well, it's not my fault that Sharon hasn't taken a vacation in seven years. Saying that is is a thing we can put to bed, and yeah. we can say, right. actually, if I'm in charge of this organization, and of course we work together with our boards and advisory councils, sometimes with governmental agencies, whoever we're helping to steward this change with. Um, but if I am the CEO here, or I am the executive here. Then, if someone hasn't taken a vacation in four years, that's that's on me. Um, this is the this is the container I'm building for workers. Um, I see my view, my duties as a CEO, very explicitly to keep the people in my, you know, in my organization safe.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: one of the things that, that I have, you know, tasked, been tasked with is to keep people safe. Um, if I can tell people what kind of work we're doing and where we're going and what our goals are, then I have to take responsibility for their safety during that journey, because I'm the one taking them that that place. I'm the one on that journey with them. Um, and so asking, you know, why isn't why is it that Sharon feels like she can't take a vacation? Um is there something going on internally that is making that happen? Does she not have anyone who's trained on the thing that she does? Does she um has she not gotten a, a performance review in 4 years and she so she doesn't feel like she can take a vacation because she doesn't even know how well she's doing her job? you know there's just a bunch of little things that we can look at and it takes time which most of us don't have and i advise leaders to look at our plate and find out where we're being performatively productive how many of the things do we do every day that looks like we're doing something but at the end of the day it doesn't actually it doesn't actually contribute to the mission we can spend 3 hours on something and um, and not only are no more children fed, they're not going to be on that labor that we just did, but it looks really good. It looks like we're doing a lot. Well, How can we cut that out and then focus on let's get somebody cross trained on Sharon's job so that she can finally take a vacation? Let's, let's make this a safe space for our workers to make healthy decisions. And the truth is that. Because a lot of our sector has for so long leaned into this under-resourcing of workers, there becomes a pathology around being under-resourced. There becomes a sort of like um, system-wide martyrdom.
0: It's time for a break. Fourth Dimension Technologies, they have an offer for you, an exclusive offer for nonprofit radio listeners, complimentary... 24-7 monitoring of your IT assets for three months. They'll monitor your servers, network, and cloud performance. They'll monitor your backup performance, all 24-7. Any issues, they will let you know ASAP. Plus, at the end, you will get a comprehensive report after the three months. They'll throw in a few surprises, couple of things uh, as well that uh, I did not mention. It's all complimentary and it's for the first 10 listeners. The offer is on the listener landing page. Go grab it. tony.ma slash 4D, just like 3D, but they go one dimension deeper. And this offer goes even deeper than that. Let's return to tech policies that reduce toxic productivity something called a brotherhood of suffering exactly uh, it, it's it's I've read about it in prison populations where I mean the phrase says it the brotherhood sisterhood um, theyhood of, of suffering the uh, the the shared experience among all folks of being in something that's you know, ritualistic punishing suffering difficult mm-hmm. and then and it ends up being a source of Almost pride. Yes. That, that, that we're we're suffering this way together. Right. Yeah. I'm sure you want to turn that on its head and and disabuse us
1: of that culture. Well, it's and it's hard, it's entrenched. There are people for whom, for whatever reason, and then this does become an individual problem. Once you've done all of the systematic things around. Alleviating that suffering around creating, um, you know, the concept of abundance, even as we're in these systems where we're under resourced, and part of that is acknowledging how we're under resourced and, and and speaking its name out loud, um, which is capitalism and racism and colonialism. Um, once we sort of do that in our organizations, there are still going to be people for whom it is necessary; they need that. They feel, for whatever reason, that that this is what they have to do. This is how they have to work. Um, and and in general, what I find um, in the times when I've managed to create this package, which is really hard to do, well, we have all these other external forces, sort of like working for us to have this hero complex to keep in this savior mindset. Um, when I've been able to make this abundance package, this sort of container where we can all work in abundance towards our common goals. There are a couple of people who will leave and sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's not thankfully, but sometimes it is messy. Um, but it's because they need to be in an environment that feels like home to them. And that toxicity is going to feel like home until they make the choice to step out of it and, and recognize Sorry. that this is, this is a choice that, that they've made. There's systemic issues at hand, and then there's individual issues at hand. And we as CEOs can do a lot to solve the systemic issues. And also, we can never make someone heal themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's some of that uh, performative work that you, uh, that you mentioned? Just if you could tick off two or three things that are performative, but lacking in value and, and, and benefit.
1: Um, staying in the office on a day when there's no reason to. You know, mm-hmm. if uh something tra- like something tragic frequently happens, if there's something terribly tragic in our community. Yeah, that's requiring different. you're requiring everyone to keep their butts in their seats is just ridiculous. No one's working. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna happen. Um, even sort of staying in the office when there are things going on that are are wonderful. Um, for example, uh, if it's, you know, if we are living in a beach town and it's a great surf day and we are a surf, you know, protect the surf nonprofit, everybody goes surf. Like, come on, this is our whole thing. Like, it doesn't make any sense. If we are, um, say we're, uh, you know, very into free media and we have a free media conference in town, nobody should be expected to come to work. We should get tickets to the free media conference and we should go to that, um, You know there are a lot of things. I think um, you know if we're a big sports town and our team is winning, nobody's going to pay attention to work. There's no reason to be here. All of these things, you know, they're all individual to the nonprofit. Then there's also things like you know some of us, and I'm one of these people. I admit it. Love to see a meeting room packed with people. We love it. But half those people, do they need to be there? Do they really? Is this really important to to the running of the nonprofit? That that. You know, so many people are there for an hour doing nothing and or, you know, getting information that could have been in an email or, you know, etc. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think there's uh, some people have gone into the... um, Oh, I can't remember what they call it, but they do 15-minute stand-ups every morning, and they're never 15 minutes long. They always run over. A huddle?
0: Is that a huddle? Yes.
1: Yeah, the morning huddle. I mean, if the morning huddle makes you guys productive and it helps your your nonprofit do the thing you're you're put here to do, great. But a lot of times these huddles are just performative, and it's awful, and everyone's so tired because it's the first thing in the morning, <laughs> and there's no reason for them. Um, I think also there's a lot of like email checking that happens throughout the day for me as one of the ways that I am performatively productive. And and my uh, my only employee is remote. We are all remote here. So no one's watching me. No one can see me in here. But I will sit here and check email because I want to, quote unquote, feel productive. And so then I've spent two and a half hours moving emails around the digital space, doing nothing and I leave <laughs> and then I leave, you know, I have to go to lunch or it's the end of the day or something. And I didn't need to be there and do that. There was, there was no reason.
0: All right. Those are good. Yeah. Good examples. Thanks. You're welcome. It's time for Tony's take two. This is still my silver Jubilee in planned giving. And August is still national make a will month. So let's take part do of starting your planned giving program with Wills. These are going to be reasons four, five, and six. Reasons one through three were last week. Reason number four. There's no lifetime cost to your donors. These are long-term gifts. A gift in a will is a gift of cash to your nonprofit at the donor's death. So no lifetime cost for your donors giving by will. Sustainability. This is all about the sustainability of your work, your mission, your values. That's what the conversations are all about. It's the survivability of your work in the long term. That's what the conversations are about. That's what planned giving is going to help supplement, is going to really be more than a supplement. It's going to be critical to your long-term survivability, your sustainability. Reason number six, endowment. Whether you have no endowment and you need to start growing, building one, or you have a modest endowment, you want to grow it more, or you have a good size endowment and you still want to grow it more. Because when do we ever say, ah, the endowment's big enough. No need to add to that anymore. Let's stop that. Cut that off. Uh, Never. So wherever you are with endowment, even if you're at $0.00 dollars, Most of the gifts by will, the the vast majority come unrestricted. And that means you take as much of that unrestricted money as possible and put it into your endowment, that long-term savings for your nonprofit that you're only spending a little bit of the income or maybe even less than the annual income each year. That's how you grow that endowment. Gifts by will. I realize there's tension. There's, you have immediate short-term costs, expenses that you have to cover as well. But as much as possible, those unrestricted dollars that come from gifts by wills, sock that away into the endowment. That's how you build your endowment. And of course, that helps uh, reason number five, your sustainability, right? See, it all works together. So that's reasons four, five, and six for starting your planned giving program with wills. That is Tony's take two. We've got Buku. Yes, the Buku is back. Buku but loads more time for tech policies that reduce toxic productivity with Marina Martinez Bateman. Is there more that, that we can, um, ask of our, of our leaders? You, not that you haven't given, uh, given, given a lot of, uh, a, a lot of advice, but, uh, is, is there any more that, that we can expect from our leaders to help us make the right
1: choices? Yeah. And part of that is, so we are in a unique space as leaders where we are suffering from the exact same ailments that our people are suffering from. And we are suffering from the exact same structures of oppression that our people are suffering. I mean, not the exact same ones, but we're here, we're in it. Right. So all of that, um, you know, all the systems that are set up to make it so that personal health and art and the environment and food and health, like um, communities and all these other things that we fight for, right, in the nonprofit sector, all these things are devalued. We're, we're in the same boat. Um, and also, we do have power within the walls of our, our organization. Sometimes it's limited. Sometimes there's other factors at play, but we have more power than anyone else in the building almost um, with very few exceptions. And so part of it is that we have to make certain sacrifices as leaders, which I think all of us know, but those sacrifices are probably not going to be the ones, the ones I recommend are not going to be the ones that we expect. So, Um, we need to protect our own time. We need to be seen eating lunch. We need to be seen taking time to move our bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the things that we do as leaders are are, um, the second we get to work, the second we log on, whenever our day starts, we are being seen by everyone at the organization, even if it's a small organization, even if it's a remote organization, we don't realize how visible we are. Um, and so when we model these behaviors for people, taking vacation, telling people about how wonderful and restorative the vacation was, reassuring people um that, that it's okay to take vacation for themselves, leaning into abundance, even though we know what the budget is and we know scarcity very intimately, <laughs> um, making those choices um that are that are on mission, um, that are values driven, because that's what we're called to do. Um, and then having to make tough calls uh, as a leader is, it's why we're here. It's why we got put in this seat. Um, it's why we sought the seat. We wanted this position, most of us. And um, and so it's time to sort of like what we sacrifice when we have this uh, out, like when we're modeling this good behavior is we sacrifice any delusions that we might have had towards The productivity nature of, of, you know, performative productivity, right? So those big meetings Mm. that have a ton of people in them that are really kind of just ego strokes for us. We can get rid of those. (laughs) That's a sacrifice that, that is a good sacrifice to make. Um, a lot of times we do things like we have those big meetings because we're not feeling very productive, but we want to see everybody's face, you know, working. Um, and really what we needed to do was take lunch and start taking lunch probably three months, <laughs> three or four months ago or years ago or 10 or 15, 20 years ago. Um, and then we would feel productive and filled up and we wouldn't need a big meeting of 15 people that doesn't do anything. Um, so so modeling the behavior ourselves is very, very important and, um, and specifically yeah. in a way that is seen. Um, it can be very hard because as leaders we want to say, well, I'm going to take – I'm modeling the behavior. I'm going to take off early. I'm going to go home. And um, that is valid. And if we need to do that, we should do that. And also say, okay, everybody, we're going home early. This day is just whatever Mm -hmm. happened. This day is in the pits. Let's go home early. If we can, of course, some of us can't do that because we have certain service obligations. Um, But we can do things like look around the room, take the temperature of the room and say, all right. Everybody, we're getting, you know, pizzas delivered or whatever. Uh, we're just going to sit down and hang out together and blow off some steam. I can feel it. We just, we're not doing productive work right now, you know? Yeah. All
0: right. Be thoughtful, be intentional mm-hmm. um, about creating, uh, about the culture you're creating. Mm-hmm. And that culture yeah. starts with leadership, whether, whether you might be the CEO or you might be a mid-level leader, you might be a uh lower on the org chart, a lower level leader, but you're still leading two or three people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it applies to this is not only for the CEO. You're a CEO, but this is not only for CEOs. All right.
1: Yeah, the people like your choices are going to be dependent on what's up with the people and focus on them and then model yeah. the behavior that you Because you know that a lot of us don't realize how seen we are in our organizations. We're very, very visible if we're in a leadership position.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You made the point. You know, even even in a virtual organization uh, like yours, virtual company. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, uh, so flesh that out. How how do you feel like folks know when you start logging in, when you're reading email, etc. cetera? How is that seen? How is it seen?
1: How am I checking in? You know, if we have a digital chat platform. How am I checking in? Am I showing up? Am I saying, Hey, I'm here. Am I asking questions? Um, Am I, you know, am I asking for feedback? You know, am I, am I visible enough for you? Am I, you know, am I bugging you too much? (laughs) Like, um, and listening to people and trusting people when they tell you what's going on with them. Um, And also trying to remember, it's very hard. It can be very hard with everything going on that you have to do as a leader. But when someone says, Hey, I'm going to be out for the afternoon, put it in your own calendar and make sure that you don't reach out to them during that time um,
0: yeah the, right those those uh, slacks or texts or emails, whatever it is that start sorry to bother you on your day off mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but of course, the universal negator uh, cancels everything before it, but I need you know blah blah right. exactly, and avoid that you know the, the, yeah. so much of that could it could just wait until the day off is over so mm-hmm. the week yeah. off is it you know and 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 you you said earlier. You know, cross training so that people feel they can take time, and so that Mm -hmm. the
1: organization doesn't suffer when they do. Exactly. If so and so doesn't have the thing, I've cross trained this other person. (laughs) Right. Which, of course, you know, it's easy for me to sit here in my office and say cross training when a person listening is looking at me like, "What with what resources? With what people?" But that's where the sacrifices come in. You have to say, "Okay, well, this vanity project of mine doesn't happen because cross training is happening instead." Or this and. Somebody bristled when I said vanity project, I know it, but we all have them. They exist. We've got to accept that that they exist. So instead of the thing I want, we do cross training because that's, that's, and eventually I'll get the thing I want probably, especially if it's mission aligned and it makes sense. But we have to prioritize workers' needs and comforts because we have a lot of options here. The people that we employ have less options than us. Have fewer options than us, and so we need to 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 honor that.
0: What about some uh, questions that you got? Questions or comments you got uh, in your session?
1: What uh, what do you what
0: do you what, uh, what stuck out for you?
1: I always get this question in all every time I teach this training. I get this question, and it's some version of the you know my coworker, my direct report, my boss, my board member. Is very into toxic productivity. They're very into this. They're they're the ones that are always, you know. Well, I was answering emails from the hospital when I was in labor with my second daughter, or you know, <laughs> all of this stuff. Um, that, that's, that's very badge of honor. You know, we wear these sort of like wounds, like medals, in nonprofit. Yeah. Um, that's the uh, the
0: personhood of suffer. I said the personhood of suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a bad. Yeah. They, they do become a badge of honor. I'm the pro- I'm always the last person to leave the office.
1: Yes. Yes. Exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh and 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 this person is their their toxic productivity is harming people, they're pushing uh the culture, you know, more and more to work more and more. Um, they have unrealistic expectations of people that work near or with them, mm. et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a it's harmful. And what I always tell people is, you know, you can do this. Uh, first of all, your proximity to this person is not a coincidence. At some point, you guys probably saw eye to eye on this or we're working together in tandem to create something that really worked for you. Um, you know, I look back on my nonprofit career and one of the, my best times, one of my favorite times in my career was I was deeply into toxic productivity. And so was everyone else around me. And it was wonderful because we were all on the same page. We felt like such a good team. We were so unified in the way we thought about things and the way we thought about things was deeply unhealthy. Yeah. Um But uh, I tell them, you know, you can tell this person, especially if you really care about them outside of work, um, you can say, I think we're in a toxic relationship. I think we are operating in a way that is making each other less healthy, that's not, not helping us thrive. I want to try and heal from this. I think that healing is going to bring about a really incredibly positive change, not only for me, but for the work that we're doing here will you will you heal with me will you come in this on this journey with me and you can ask them with sincerity and the truth is that you can't do anything else other than that just ask them and if they say no you can't keep asking them you have to you have to respect that and everyone has the has, has their own path you know and not everyone is going to heal at the rate that you are going to heal at not everyone is going to heal the way you think you should or they should um some people just have other journeys and so if you are that person's boss you can make decisions about okay well we're going in a different direction we need competencies around healthy productivity you don't have the competencies around healthy productivity that we need therefore we're no longer a good fit and that hurts it's hard to say those things but if i had you know if i said you know we're going to go uh, we're going to move towards gap accounting, everyone. You know, we've got to do things uh best practices, ways, and and not have, you know, our accounting all willy-nilly. And our accountant at the time was like, nope, I do my accounting on post-its, and I will never not do that. <laughs> you can't make me change. Then we would have to get a new accountant, wouldn't we? So it's the same thing when we're trying to create this healthier productivity. If someone doesn't want to learn or become competent in this, in this new work way. We can't keep them on just because we like them or because of what they did in the past. That was helpful. Um, we can honor them and say that, that, you know, thank you very much. And we can also release them to continue on their own journey, whatever that is.
0: What have we not talked about that, uh, you want to,
1: um, Good question.
0: Uh, I mean, I do my best to uh, channel our listeners, but you've been thinking about this for a long time and I'm just coming to it. So maybe the uh, the stuff that we, I haven't raised. Yeah. What, let's what, talk what, about what
1: perfectionism because perfectionism, perfectionism is, yeah. is a, we know for a fact, we know that per- perfectionism is a, is a um, feature of white supremacy. Perfectionism is, um, pervasive and insidious in our culture as a whole, but also in nonprofit culture. And so when we are practicing uh, healthy productivity, when we're trying to learn how to do things differently, the fact that we're doing things in a way that we haven't done them before means that we're not going to be as good, effortlessly good at them. Um As we were before, even if we were doing something that ultimately harmed ourselves and our organization and our mission, we were really good at it for a <laughs> long time. We had a high level of proficiency, <laughs> so when you sort of like decide to go home at five o 'clock and uh walk around the block and then take a bubble bath or whatever that 's not going to feel super good because you 're not going to be super good at it um I can't tell you how many times I used to buy coloring books because I was like, I need to be less, you know, work centric and I need to do creative things. I miss being creative. And so I would buy those adult coloring books and I would hurt my fingers from coloring so hard because it had to be perfect. Mm. Um, and then I would think, okay, no, I can't do this. It's too, it's too physical. <laughs> this coloring is too physical. I'll go get in a bath. That'll relax me. And I'll sit, I would sit in this bath just. Uh, tense because I'm supposed to be relaxing and I'm and this, I'm not this, doing. This damn
0: bath over yet. Yeah.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> All right. That's not working either.
1: Right. And but it's not working because you you're not familiar with it. It's hard the first time you did anything. It was yeah. just kind of a little bit difficult and a little bit unwieldy and overwhelming. And you know, for those of us who have been neglecting our other the other parts of our lives for however long because of work. It is daunting to go into a place we feel very new at, especially when we've been in a place where we feel extremely, um, you know, experienced and comfortable. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So the, the perfectionism of like, if you are going to engage with your community and if you are going to engage your creativity and you're going to go on a hike and you're going to, you know, reclaim the other part of your life that isn't work, be willing to do it badly Mm. Mm. because it's that important. You have to be able to do it badly because you have to get through that sort of like new unwieldy part. Um, And it's okay to say like, I'm really new at this. I'm only going to hike for 15 minutes, or I'm only going to sit at the trailhead and look at the hiking place. And then I'm going to go get back in my car and go home. there there's no level of engaging with your non-work life that is not going to be beneficial there's no it's not like you have to hike to the top of the mountain i mean this is part of the toxic productivity that's been in you know making this this bad scene this whole time right is that we feel like we have to um do everything the best the most regardless of what else is going on
0: yeah you're Um, not gonna you're not gonna start your physical fitness journey with a a triathlon,
1: you know, you're going to
0: run around the block and in a week, you'll be able to run around the block twice.
1: Yeah. Or maybe just walk to the end of the block. Pardon me? Or maybe just walk to the end of the block or
0: whatever it is. Yeah. However you start. Right. But, but starting and, and you're saying, you know, you're uh, embrace the discomfort because it'll become comfortable and -hmm. you'll get better at it. You know, you're in a pattern now. Where you're, uh, you know, you're like you said, highly efficient, at, you know, but highly efficient at toxic behaviors.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're really good at this and you right. can be really good at something else, too. I mean, I yeah. remember yeah. Uh, there was an interview with Terry Crews, who's an actor and he's very muscly. And um, people always ask him, how do you get so buff? Like you're always and he said, look, well, the gym is my happy place. And so I can't tell you, a person who doesn't really like the gym, how to get like me. I look like this because I hang out at the gym all the time. It's my favorite place. But he also says, you know, go take if you really like something, take it to the gym with you. So if you really like romance novels or mysteries or something, go and go and take your mystery novel to the gym and just sit there, read your mystery novel and then go home. And then, you know, you don't have to pick up a weight. You don't have to do a single thing. Just hang out there. Because it's for a lot of people, like the, the weight room at the gym, even especially, is like a very new place. It's pretty foreign. There's a lot of traditions. There's yeah. rules. Yeah. You don't really know what they are. Um, so acclim- acclimatizing yourself to a new place, you know.
0: Mm. Mm. Interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. All
0: right. All right. Leave us with uh, with something inspirational, please, Marina. There's been a lot of inspiration, sum, <laughs> sum it up, sum up 40 minutes or as best you can.
1: Well, when we think about how much we as nonprofit workers on an individual level, on an organizational level, and on a sector-wide level have been able to achieve and, and move the needle on with, so, with how little we're given, if we made sure that we ourselves were properly resourced in order to do this transformative work, Imagine how much more could be accomplished by people who are showing up fully in their power to this mission work. Mm. I mean, it's incredible. And then also the thing I like to remind everyone in my trainings is that this is generational work. I have generations of people behind me, you know, relatives and ancestors who have done their own mission work. And I will have generations of people in front of me doing the mission work that they're called to do. And all I have to do is show up for my part, my link in that chain.
0: Marina Martinez Bateman, CEO, New Coyote Consulting. Oh, I have to ask, why is it New Coyote Consulting? What is that? What's
1: it's New Coyote, Coyote because I wanted a name that spoke to my ancestry, which is Mesoamerican. And... uh and which spoke to my sort of, like, presence and the way I show up. And uh, the Aztec, there's an Aztec god, Huehuay uh, Coyotl, which means very old coyote. And um, I thought oh, he's... Um, frequently gendered as a, as a male, but very also frequently gendered as non-binary or female. So I'm non-binary. It felt very like I felt a lot of kinship with with that. And then um old very old coyote is a storyteller, and he teaches through storytelling. So that felt very appropriate to me as well. You know, he's not didactic. He's not teaching humans lessons or if he is ever teaching humans lessons, it's in this very jokey sort of way. Um, he brings people along with him on journeys rather than sort of like telling them to go places. Um, and I, uh, I also feel like in the context that I'm in, which is a very white context and a very colonizer context frequently, a lot of people will call my work new. They'll say that the things I'm doing are new, these new ideas, they're new concepts. And for me, they're not new. They're very, very old. Um, but also, New Coyote is a transformer. He's a trickster, so he he becomes the thing that you need in the moment. And I thought, well, then we're a new coyote. We're not a very old coyote. We're a new, we're a brand new one. So that's why I named us New Coyote. Lots of levels. Lots of levels. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Again, Marina Martinez Bateman, CEO at New Coyote Consulting. Marina, thank you very much. Real pleasure. You're
1: welcome. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: You're welcome too and thank you for being with Tony Martinetti nonprofit radio coverage of the 2022 nonprofit technology conference hosted by N10 next week increase data literacy across your nonprofit you see how all these data and tech topics are fit together this it's all very highly produced here very highly if you missed it these things just don't happen if you missed any part of this week's show i beseech you Find it at tonymartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn 2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. And by Fourth Dimension Technologies, IT Infra in a Box, the affordable tech solution for nonprofits, tony.ma slash 4D, just like 3D, but they go one dimension deeper. And now they've got the offer. Grab the listener offer at the landing page. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy, and this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio Big Nonprofit Ideas for the Other 95%. Go out and be great.